0: Hey, this is Vernon Reed, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast with Pat Francis.
1: town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can use it. Fun
2: he prove it. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things Music, both new and classic. Way. I'm Pat Francis. and joining me today in the Zoom room. you know him as the guitarist and songwriter from the band Living Color. He also has solo albums, and he's been doing this thing for boy about forty years now, I guess. Yeah, it's it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> Please welcome Vernon Reed. Hello, Vernon. Hey, everybody. What's
0: going on? You know, Mrs. Mister and Mrs. and Ms. America
2: <laughs> and I, uh, non-binary and all the ships at sea. <laughs> <laughs> so, Vernon, where are you located? I'm in Los Angeles. Where are you right now? I'm I'm in. Staten Island, New York, aka Shaolin as dubbed by the Wu-Tang
0: clan. And I I only refer to it as Shaolin. And I'm in the north I'm in the north shore of Staten Island, which is a very important distinction because people tend to think of Staten Island as one as one identity, you know, like a one kind of pro-Trump identity. And actually, you know, it's a lot more diverse than that. So I'm living in the blue the blue section
2: of uh, of a very red borough excellent so you got all your gear behind you this is your uh, recording room that i'm looking this at is like my, yeah this is the dharma lab this is my my audio man cave if you will and uh got
0: amps here there's, there's a drum kit that, that i was gifted by will calhoun the drummer from living color uh gave me one of his many drum kits and uh and uh, yeah, I use it for when I'm doing rehearsals or doing actually doing recording and stuff down here, too.
2: Now, is it a true gift, or are you just uh, is he just storing it there? Is that yours forever, or do you have to give him one half a dozen of the other? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's see, no, he's being a mensch, he's being a mensch. Very nice. Uh, let's mention uh, the other members of Living Color we have uh, Corey Glover on vocals and yes. Doug Wimbush on bass. Yes, and Doug Wimbush on bass. Yes, that's, that's right. the current uh, current lineup, and that's the current, li- that's the current lineup, and of course, our dear friend Muskillings, who's who's that. We're all still friends. I was going to ask the that. I was going to ask when uh, yeah. when you part ways with someone, if you guys because you started this band Living Color together, so you have yeah. you have a bond. Well, I actually started the band. I started the band. It actually is a, is a crazy
0: origin story. Like I started the band in Good God Almighty, 1984. And it went through a lot of different iterations. But the band that everybody knows uh, became the band. Went, you know, I went through changes for the first few years. And, uh, but the band
2: that everybody knows really came together in 1986. So that's when Muzz and Will joined uh, the band. And, then, uh, and when you start something like this, because uh, you guys recorded the first album together and Muzz is in the band then, you do have a, you do have a bond with Muzz that you might not you know, ever have with Doug, even though he's your, he's your buddy. I mean, you know,
0: we were friends, we were friends before. I mean, I I was friends with Doug Wimbish before Mm. Living Color. And so he was around right when, because, you know, he was in his band Tackhead. And before Tackhead, he had a band called Fat Comet and the Big Sound. And he was working with the producer, Adrian Sherwood. But, uh, he knew me, you know, back when they used to have a spot on 14th street and, uh, and uh, so he knew me right when I was starting the band that became Living Color and stuff
2: like that. So, you know, it's it's a lot of different relationships and friendships yeah. going on going on a long time. So it makes sense that when Muzz is no longer there, uh, Doug naturally gets the call.
0: Yeah, it's it is a painful, it was a weird you know, I'm not gonna tell tales out of school, but no. you know, something like something like that is is always it's a rending and it's always very it was very
2: painful, and you know, and, and over time, those wounds, a lot of those wounds have healed. You know, well, um, this uh, this show isn't about drama, and I'm just I'm just glad to hear that you guys are all still uh, buddies. That's cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, I love us. You know. It's, so, it's uh, how long have you been in Staten Island? Is that your home base? Has that been the home I, base yeah, for a long time? Is, I grew, yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, a,
0: a little bit in Bed Stuy, but mainly in Crown Heights and um but i've been on staten island off and on since 1990 but there was a there was i that was was, i was was married to my first wife and then we divorced and that was a process and i lived in manhattan um over the length of our divorce and divorce took about three years you know and then uh and then at the end of all of that, um, you know, she didn't want the house. And then I was either going to move back in or I was going to sell it. Right. And when I walked into the house, the house was just neutral. You know, I was, it was like, sort of like, I was going to walk in, either it was going to be a haunt, it was going to be haunted. Right. Or it was not going to be haunted. And if I walked in and I felt haunted, then it would I would have probably, I don't know, I probably would have moved back to Brooklyn. But the house, it's a great uh, Victorian house, and it was just—it was very neutral. That's good. And, uh, and I decided to um, to stay. I love it. Excellent. Abstract, it's named the Abstract Ranch. <laughs> you gave which, it a name. Which, 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 which the rapper Beans from Antipop Consortium, he uh, he dubbed it. He gave it that name. It's it's a crazy story. I used to have a two-headed a stuffed two-headed calf. That was lent to me by the painter Sam Messer. He he was moving and he said, "You want to hold on to my two-headed calf?" And I said, "Yeah." So it was in the house, and uh, and I also had a, like a stuffed Marlin on the porch. You know, like just kind of hanging on the porch. <laughs> and one time, uh, Beans came in. He said, he "Look around." and I said, "Man, this is like an abstract ranch." And I said, "That's it, bro." I feel uh, like uh, I feel like I all your pla- pla- I even I even
2: had a plaque made. Anyway, I feel like your friends uh, when they when they don't want something at their place, they come and give it to you. Drums. And a stuffed calf and a marlin. <laughs> Tell your marlins, friends. you're. No, I got the marlin. I got that marlin at a,
0: uh, you know, I wish I'd caught it myself, but, you know, you don't get marlins unless you go down to Florida. You have to be, you know, fishing in Florida. Yeah. So I, I got it. There used to be great. There used to be a great antique flea market in New York. Um, that was on the weekends. That was right on 26th Street. And uh, in, anyone that's an old New York head, remembers the they used to be an amazing flea market i used to see seymour stein the president you know of sire records uh, president of sire records yeah i used to see seymour stein was i would see him all the time uh looking for uh antiques and things that was a whole subculture
2: yeah, that's So many dead subcultures in New York now. I love uh, uh, you know, Seymour Stein, uh, iconic. I love Sire Records. My God, the Ramones and uh, Pretenders and Talking, talking heads. heads. Yeah, I mean, you name it. Um, so I have written down here you were born in, uh, in the UK. I was born in London,
0: uh, in North London, at uh, St. Mary's Hospital in Paddington. And I was born in the same hospital where Jimi Hendrix
2: was declared dead. Wow. That's uh, given what you do given what you do for a living and your heritage, that's kind of that's kind of interesting.
0: It's a weird it's a, it's a, it's just one of these weird coincidences and part of it is when I think about it, Jimi Hendrix and I actually tweeted tweeted this, like it seems to me that Jimi Hendrix would have never become Jimi Hendrix if he didn't go to to London with Chas Chandler. Mm-hmm. And if my parents hadn't taken, you know, their infant son to New York, to America, I might not have become uh, a guitarist at all. So it's a weird kind of flip. It is, you know. The we, there, there's a lot of there's, You know, you know there are no patterns. Everything's kind of random. But if you look, you'll see weirdness. Yeah, the weirdness, the coincidences start to pop up, and that can freak you out. It's also that, <laughs> that's also the cool stuff too, though. Oh yeah, yeah, for oh, yeah. sure. And that's the great uh, well. One of the things i love to say is that um, some stories take a long time to tell. And um, a lot of times the weirdness, the irony, is it'll take a generation or two. Because we're focused on what's happening in one lifetime. We're focused on, and then unless you expand the story out, then you don't see, oh, you know, and that person met that person. And then this happened. And then that happened. And then this happened. Yeah. And that's what makes life totally fascinating and and really uh bizarre in a a, you know for good and ill
2: yeah and you never know if that's just a a free coincidence or if those things are are meant to be like set in stone before who knows well that's the strange thing about time time fixes everything like everything is
0: possible like er everything is really is possible yeah and then it gets fixed in time now what changes it is your interpretation of events. So you can see an event one way, and then given enough time, you can turn around and see that same event exactly the opposite way you saw it before. The way it was experienced is one way, and then you go back and you know what?
2: That was actually concave. It wasn't convex at yeah. all. You know? Even something that appears to be a tragedy years later yeah. can turn out to, to have been something good or something good comes from it.
0: Well, it's, that's part of the, you know what, one of the things I thought, and and there's no proof of this, but I actually think we landed a man on the moon, and one of the reasons we landed a man on the moon is because of Kennedy's assassination. I think that when Kennedy was assassinated, something, because he says, you know what, we're going to do the hard thing, and we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade, and something there's a part of me that thinks, you know, the engineers, they became weirdly really dedicated to fulfilling that goal, you know? And, and that's, and that could just be, and who knows? And maybe if, if Kennedy had lived, there would have been, there would have been budgetary fights. There would have been mm-hmm. all kinds of things because of other things he wanted to do. Right. And it wouldn't have happened. And that's the, you know, it's a terrible event. And really all of american history a lot of a lot of what we 're dealing with now with conspiracy theories uh. the conspiracy I mean it goes back before Kennedy, but in the modern era, the assassination of President Kennedy is where is the beginning of the whole idea of conspiracy in the modern age because of the Zapruder film yep and and what sealed the deal was. Yes, the uh, the killing of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald by Jack Ruby. And I, I, I was with my parents in Brooklyn, sitting between my parents, and I'll never forget. It was Walter Cronkite is say, was saying, and that's the man that killed the president. And All of a sudden, you just see this fedora come into the frame. Yeah. And he shot him. Yeah. And it was complete chaos. And it was, it was, uh, it was unbelievable because it was, it was all live TV. Yeah. But that's the beginning. Those two events, you know, obviously the assassination of Kennedy, but then the removal of Leif Harvey Oswald. And I think
2: we're still dealing with the effects of that big time. And, uh, and you mentioned Walter Cronkite. That's when, that's when the news was the news. You felt like you were getting oh, yeah. the truth from one or two people. It wasn't spread all over the place with uh, trusted
0: sources, uh, trusted, trusted sources, sources. Good you know there were so it. there were there were very few channels. There there there, there, were, there were what there were like three, four, or four, five channels. Yeah, four or five. Channels. Yeah, yeah and, You know then, what I mean? If you could, yeah. if you included your local TV station, right. but really nationally, there and, were three channels. Yeah, NBC, ABC, CBS. That's it. And Walter Cronkite had an unimpeachable reputation for veracity. Right. When he turned when he turned against the Vietnam War, Johnson said, "I lost Cronkite." You know, he was like, that was when the tide, the public tide really shifted because, you know, they were sending, um, journalists over there and they were saying, you know what, what, what Westmoreland and them are saying, that's not what we're seeing at all. No. And, and there was a, and there was this one fateful report, um, and it was just, and it just kind of devastated the war effort, and and it happened right at the time when the music was changing, and all of these things happened again in a kind of
2: synchronous way. Did you? Uh, let me ask you this: What were your parents doing over in the UK? Were they working there? My parents, my parents were part of a wave
0: of people. Because the British had colonies, you know, the sun never set on the British Empire, except the sun set on the British Empire basically in the 50s and the 60s. It really set. But, you know, it was people that were all over the Caribbean, from the, from the, the, the English-speaking Caribbean, people from Pakistan and India, people from Nigeria, for, mm-hmm. from the, the African colonies. They were all they were all in, in, uh, kind of intrigued to come to, the, to help rebuild. Okay um to rebuild the the english cities the uk because basically they've been they'd had the you know they've been bombed to pieces yeah and and the rebuilding of 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 uh the big industrial cities that went on all through the 40s and into the 50s you know at one point my mom worked as a welder you know wow. did spot did spot welding
2: yeah you know it was a real, real rosy the riveter type stuff you know so so, so so they were part of this rebuilding movement they were part of this rebuilding
0: movement and there was a lot of resentment that was thrown at them because, you know, that's where the beginning of the, you know, England for the English, you know, this is a mm-hmm. white man's country, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And what happened was there was a split, you know, there were some other people from the Caribbean. My parents are from Montserrat, you know, okay. a small island near Antigua, Antigua. And um, there was a split. You know, my my father's sister stayed um, with my uncle Boston. He drove a double. He actually drove and retired as a double decker bus driver. And uh, my parents, they took their chances on America because that's when the beginning of the Teddy Boys and all that pre-national front type of stuff. You know, was getting kind of hairy, kind of violent and Mm -hmm. whatnot. And uh, and I was like a, a year old. And so they, they,
2: they split. But it's, it kind of parallels the Great Migration from the South to the Industrial North. So they moved, uh, they moved here, and uh, you were born in 58. Is that correct? I was born in 58, and so, I was brought to the States um, just
0: uh, like late 59. It was, uh, you know, I was, I was one and a half when uh, I was, you know, so they, so, were, they were established in 1960. Gotcha. But so they, you,
2: but, you weren't even old enough to remember Living I don't even really I can't,
0: I can't yeah. even do a, a decent fake <laughs> UK accent, which is w- which is incredibly frustrating to me <laughs> that I was born and I can't yeah. I can't you know what I mean. I I can much more do a, a kind of Caribbean accent because I grew up around it. Yeah, but, but but the UK accent I cannot do at all. I can't do it at all. I can't. It's terrible. If I, I try to do, I I sound
2: horrible you know it's uh, one of the bitter ironies of my life so your pan- brooklyn accent yeah you can definitely do that i'm sure the uh, uh brooklyn boy <laughs> <laughs> so your folks they must have been saving their money uh while they they're working these jobs at rebuilding so that they had money to come to mm-hmm. new york because you know Absolutely. new york is, is no cheap place to live in any era and what was uh, what right. was the upbringing like in new york when you came here when did you start well, to, to realize the- it
0: uh, I lived in an apartment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We had an apartment. We lived, we had, we had an apartment. It was sure. like a. I think it was a one bedroom, one, two, one, one or two bedroom apartment on St. Mark's Avenue. I mean, how, that's how I learned to ride a bike. I, I learned to ride a bike inside, inside the apartment and I used, and it was basically taking the bike and going in a straight line to the opposite wall. Mm-hmm. And and left tire marks in the, <laughs> because you know, but yeah. that's what you know, it was like they wouldn't let me I had to learn how to balance in the
2: apartment before I could take a bike out on the street. Well, it's nice that they bought you a bike and let you ride it inside. A lot of folks wouldn't let you do yeah, that. yeah,
0: it was pretty weird. It was pretty, it was pretty weird stuff, but uh, but you know, one of the things I remember, man, was the um you know, TV. I remember watching um Black and white TV. I remember also our record player, which, 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 which we, we, you know, because before they had like kind of portable record players, they had like, it was like a gigantic piece yeah, of furniture. Yeah, a piece of furniture, it was like yeah. Radio. It had a top, you yeah. know, you had to bring the top up. You could stack and, the uh,
2: albums up there, the records, whatever they exact. were, and they would fall on top of each other. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, remember, I
0: know it. You, they even had like a little thing where you could lean the albums up. It was it's, it's very pretty, pretty practical, right? You could yeah. lean them all up, and you lean them up in the order that you were gonna play them. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so there was always music around, and you know, my parents, you know, liked a lot of different kinds of music, and they loved, you know, American R and B music, and so, you know, James Brown was like, you know, the, the, all of those sounds, but also, they were still liked uh, music from England, you know, like mom, mom was like, you still, she liked the Dave Clark five, you know what I mean? And I remember when the Beatles came on, the Ed Sullivan show. So, so it was a different context of hearing the Beatles. Like they were like the lads from Liverpool. Right. So, so my parents still had a certain amount of affection, even though they, you know, they had to split, they still had a certain, you know, amount of affection, you know, like they, they loved Queen Elizabeth. She was cool. You know what I mean? To them, you know? So, so it was um you know, they just couldn't deal with the, you know, the the, the uh the kind of hooligans. Right. <laughs> that was the thing. But um but music, you know, um am radio, records, all kind of records, you know, the Stax records, but also hearing all the Calypso records like the Mighty Sparrow, Lord Melody, you know, um the Ska Records, the Scatellites. Um, some of the very, very early reggae records. You know, so there was a lot of different, it was a, a very um, wide open musical environment. Eclectic. So ecle- very eclectic. And the other great thing was that I was never told how I should feel about whatever it was I was listening to. Mm-hmm. I was never told, don't listen to this, listen to that. Mm-hmm. I was never told those things, so I, had my, I made my own judgments. About the sounds I heard. So, you know, like the first time I heard Dionne Warwick, I fell in love. I thought that she was the greatest singer in the world. Yeah. You know, singing, singing all that stuff, you know, Aretha Franklin, you know, um, Gladys Knight, like all of these vocalists that I heard, you know, and also Sam Cooke and, you know, Al Green, my aunts, my aunt, I, my youngest aunt was, Al Green was it? <laughs> Al Green, she, well. she actually when saw him he he played at the beacon theater i remember that her and her girlfriend you couldn't tell her nothing she had every al green album huge
2: fan that My was
0: mother's it what sounds
2: time. it sounds like because of your parents eclectic taste there was no when it came to music there was no black or white it was everything you were introduced to every type of music
0: yeah it was uh, it was no i was there was no kind of there was never oh that's white people's music right that, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was, cause naturally we gravitated R and B and, and, you know, dance music. Um, and, and then it became funk. Oh, that was all in the mix, but like the Beatles, you know, the Beatles, you know, we love the Beatles. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and my, my cousin's, Mom was a huge Elvis fan. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like she was had a blue she had like a blue Hawaii record. You know what I mean. She was you know it was like stuff <laughs> nice. like that. So it wasn't yeah. like so so in a way I was free to form my own opinions about what was good and what was what I liked and what I didn't like.
2: Yeah, well, my upbringing is I grew up in a small town in Western Pennsylvania, about five thousand people, and uh, sad mm-hmm. to say. I wasn't really exposed to black people until I moved to Chicago in my 20s. That so must have been quite a shock. It's uh Chicago. It just made me feel um it made me feel sad and it made me feel a little mad, but it wasn't um it was just where I lived. There're just I mean, I'm sure there yeah. were black people around, but I mean, I can tell you if you go through my high school yearbook, you'll find one kid. And and uh, right. when I see that picture, I think what was it like for that one kid? It must have been not, good, Super not great. Not because, great.
0: Be, not great because 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 for everyone that was cool, there were five that were not cool. Absolutely. Or there was gaslighting or there was weird. Absolutely. Stuff that went on, right? Like people forget about Jackie Robinson in the outfield. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of funny because you say to yourself, well, where did all those people that you know, called them the N-word, Where did they all go? And when did their attitudes exactly change? Right. You know what I mean? And when did they stop telling their kids that that was okay? Like, right. it was never okay to no. subject him to it No. Right? And no. The fa- and the fact, you know, and so basically the attitudes change when basically when either people, some people do have a, ch- a change of heart, which is very rare. If, if they have a kind of moral compass that mm-hmm. at least informs them that, you know what, this is enough. Enough yeah. of this, right? That happens, of course, but that's not a mass movement. Yeah. And also, it happens when, maybe when children defy their parents Mm -hmm. and say, you know what, I reject your values. And that's why the battleground of education is so, that's why it's so, that's why it's so intense. That's why the busing, you know, like a lot of stuff that went on, people think of the South. Yeah. You know, they think about um, what happened in the South. Mm Mm-hmm. But out in New York, Queens, busing in Queens was like, it was not a game. Like, people were, I mean, it was shameful the way people acted. The way people acted in Boston is that famous photograph of a guy being stabbed by this angry white guy with an American flag. You know, I mean, and that's, we're dealing with the legacy of all of these things that have gone on for a really long time. And that's and that's what and and the idea of really being able to face one another and speak honestly to one another about our experiences, you know, that's 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 part of a a difficult a difficult uh, you know long process. That's why you know it's we're we're in we're going into we're a quarter way into the twenty first century practically, yeah, and we're still dealing with. Things that we thought, we kinda thought, we dealt with some of this stuff in the seventies or in the eighties mm-hmm. or in the nineties. And it turns out that we didn't.
2: Yeah. And that yeah. we
0: you know, we didn't at all.
2: Yeah, I mean we uh, you know, five years ago or so, you know, you always think things are getting better and then um and then you realize, oh no, here we are again. It's uh <laughs>
0: Well they are getting uh, better, but it's got but it's but the the, the, pay, the, the pace is glacial. Yeah. And it's like you know, it's, you know, it's, what is that thing, uh, four, th- three steps, four, six steps back? You mm-hmm. know, you go, you, you yeah. have seen in advance. And then, you know, because uh, the idea of dominance is a difficult thing to let go of. Right. I mean, we see this, see, see, white and black makes it very stark. Yeah. But around the world, there are ethnic conflicts. There are conflicts that are, that are sort of like, um. It's not, it's not, it's not about race per se. Right. It can be tribal. You know, it can be, it's like part of the, the, one of the things that's weird is like the, the idea of whiteness. Whiteness is a construct like blackness. Yeah. You know, Europeans don't, you know, I mean, I mean the idea of whiteness as a unifying thing, it's weird because then, then you have to ask yourself who's who's white then yeah. where do the spaniards fit in there's a hierarchy right, right. where do the italian uh-huh where do the irish yep. where do the norwegians <laughs> the danish
2: <laughs> yeah you know it's, uh, it's more gray it's not black and white it's more
0: it's, it's much more gray yeah. and and it's you know and it's the same it's the same deal you know like a like all over the, in the bronx you know there are these couples they're very interesting because you have people uh who are you know Will Calhoun, our drummer, is from the Bronx, mm-hmm. right? And one of the most interesting thing, uh, things about the Bronx is that there are a lot of mixed families, and they're mixed because, like, the families are half Jamaican and half American Southern. Yeah. So, like, the father is from a Jamaican background, and the wife is from North Carolina. And the in-laws, when they get together, I mean, they're sharing food, but there's attitudes, right? Sure. Like, some people are like, it's kind of like, Somebody that's Catholic marries a Protestant. And when the people get together, you think they're coming together, but it's weird. Yeah, right? They're, they're it's weird. To, they're the coming Irish, together I mean, to
2: argue. Yeah.
0: They're coming together to argue. Yeah. And that's why that's why it's so funny. We get so caught up as if the conflict is solely about black and white. Well, that's like the, the most surface conflict. I mean, and the, uh, and the one thing is the fantasy that if you remove one people from the equation that there's going to be peace and harmony is a joke. Yeah. It's a joke. Think about, think, think about the Irish. The Irish have been murdering each
2: other. Yeah.
0: They're all, they're, you know, the Hibernians have been murdering each other over religious differences mm-hmm. forever. They only, they only sorted that out. right Like, what, 10 years ago? <laughs> Ten years, yep. and I mean, and, and we're talking about horrific. I mean, like blowing up buses of school tra- children type of stuff,
2: like really horrific. horrific stuff. Um, and and anyway, blah blah blah. Woof To uh, to to get to to start getting into the music here, I will tell you. Yes. Um, so that was my upbringing. Uh, and um, but then here's the deal. My my parents um w- raised me right. And uh, mm-hmm. I can remember for Christmas one year, my favorite band then. Well, I loved the Jackson Five. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would. And and then the year I wanted a GI Joe, I wanted a black GI Joe. Mm-hmm. And my parents, uh, they couldn't just go get it in my hometown. They had to order it. It's Sears catalog. Oh, wow. And I don't know if you. There was a comedian, Willie Tyler and Lester, and he had a. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Willie Tyler. Yeah. He was a ventriloquist. I, I also wanted the Lester doll and these things were all under our tree at Christmas. I know. And it's so, it's so fun. It's so funny to me, but here's, here's my preconceived then notions when living color comes out and I first see you guys, it's the first time, I mean, Jimi Hendrix rocked and, and, you know, Prince would
1: rock Mm -hmm. at times,
2: but you guys really broke down a thing You know, an entire African American band that's that's a hard rock band, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there's other bands like that out there. But you guys were the first oh, sure. that I saw, and I and you guys, I'm sure you didn't set out to break down any music walls. You just guys, you guys were just doing what you did. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But man, yeah, it was yeah, because it was refreshing. Because,
0: well, thank you. You know, we just wanted to do what we wanted to do. I yeah. mean, that's the that's the the thing about it. One of the things that was so so crazy was, like, you know, we had gotten to the point, we were a local band in New York, and we played the CBGB, CBGBs, and I'd give Hilly Crystal a rest in peace. You know, uh, uh, he was wonderful to us, mm-hmm. you know? And um, and we got to a point, I, I mean, he went, we went from the club being empty to, like, every time we played, it would be packed. And this is a right at the time when the A&R people would come, And they, of course, the band, local bands got a following. That's in the natural order of things. That's how bands got signed. And we would come up against this thing, which was, well, what are we going to, how are we going to market it? How are we going to, do? you know, how are we going to do? We had a lot of disappointment and rejection. And it was really uh, up to the point where Mick Jagger and Jeff Beck, you know, came by, you know, and, and Doug was working with them and a few other folks, you know, who were around, Man, you really should hear this guy's band because I actually went an audition to play on um, Primitive Cool. Yeah, and you do, play on, you do, play, do play on that. You do play some sessions. I do play on play on that. And he said, and, and my audition was with oh, was not great. Anyway,
2: he says to me But he had seen you play he had seen you play live, so he even your audition. He wasn't came, great. no, he came to see me play. He said, okay. see, I was recommended. See, because it was like a it was like a
0: cattle cost so uh-huh. every guitar player in New York yeah. is coming. And it's a and the vibes trust the vibes were strange like it was like a bunch of young guys and this is their shot okay it was all like that so you know I went and I went and, and 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 actually Corey Glover the you know Corey came with me to the audition and you know at the end of the audition you know Mick says man I've heard your band it's quite good I'm gonna come see your band play
2: and and I was like yeah man sure I was, I was like, gonna okay, say great. when Mick Jagger says that you have to think. Well, that's nice of you to say, but I doubt that's going to happen. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. so it's like, no. It's Mick Jagger. Whatever. You know? and, and so when um, Hilly's son
0: ran up to, to, ran up to me and said, you know who's here? You know who's here? It's, it's Mick Jagger. And immediately I put it out of my mind. Good. I put it out of my mind.
2: Because it can, pl- it can mess with you. I put it out of my mind and I didn't tell the guys. Oh, nice. Good job. Like, I'm... In that
0: inst, that moment, it was I knew. If I took in the information, it was going to. If I took in the information and if I told the guys this, it would have it would have destroyed the performance. Yeah, it would have been, you know, you know, it would have fucked it up. It would have (laughs) totally fucked it up. Yeah. And so this was um, there are little moments where I'll have a moment of insight, and this was one of these rare moments. Where you know, knowing myself, like I can be prone to anxiety. I can become very self-conscious. It's weird because I love playing. I love being on stage, but I also have this flip. I have this polarity flip. Uh-huh. Where I'm going, what the hell am I doing here? You know, what I mean, I do. I go. I I can go back and forth. Yeah. And um, and and I was just very fortunate. And I literally forgot. I I, I put out my. I I mean, <laughs> he said something. To say, oh, that's some bullshit. I I. I pushed it away. I said, no. And it was to the point where when we got off the stage, I would really forgotten. I'd really forgotten. And then one of our messages, man, Mick Jagger says, oh, what? Oh, oh, yeah. That's right. I, you know, I, I said, I, it was almost like when he's kind of a meditation. It was almost like I went into, went into a state. to. I knew it was going to mess with me. But the fact that but it took. And the like, show went the great. You guys days. had a great show
2: that night. Yeah. You guys killed it?
0: Yeah, it was great. Okay, it was cool. great. We were just unselfconscious. We were just we were in front of our crowd yeah. making
2: our moves and it was a it was just a good night. Excellent. It was just a good night. Good, and, good. Uh, now and, I want to uh, I just want to Yeah. I want to interject. This is interesting to me. You're you're born in England. Uh your parents are, are uh, enjoy the English music. You come over here and then it takes an icon from England to, to kind of push it's you guys weird. push you guys into the into the forefront and, and I, I assume Mick was instrumental in helping you well, guys he, get he, a deal. He, I mean he, he produced two of the songs, right? Yes. Glamour and Boys just, and uh Which, and, way, to and which way to America. Which Way to America
1: me hey.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then and we met Ed Stasium because I because anyway I would go go to play primitive on the primitive cool and Ed Stasium's working um, on that album. Met Ed Stasium Ed was the engineer. Yes. Okay. for yeah. the album overall. And I just he was a very friendly guy, very warm guy. Just you know, and we got to talking, and I said, man, I'm you know you know I like a lot of weird shit. I, there was these bands, and I was mentioning these kind of like kind of underground. Kind of rock, underground R&B, quasi-rock bands, black rock bands, and I, men- I mentioned Mother Night, and I mentioned Automatic Man, and then I mentioned, I mentioned the Skull Snaps, and and Ed Station looked at me and he said, "Oh, that was my first job."
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Nah, 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 nah. You can make it if you try. Hey! Oh, now, now. It's a new day. It's a new day. And coming. Wow, coming out. Can't drive the trust. Don't make a bus. What you gonna do? Just step down to the back of the bus. Wow,
0: that's beautiful. You better call. For men Wow. I was like... That's strange. I, I was like... W- I was like, what? He said, yeah, Skull Snaps. They're from Newark, New Jersey. That was my first gig. And, and then I said, you're hired. Like, in my mind. I was like, because mm-hmm. we were interviewing different people. But when he said that he had worked with the Skull
2: Snaps, it was, it was such a weird coincidence that I was like, I got to work with yeah, this guy. Yeah, you got it. That was, you know, I got it. I, that was one of my questions. I didn't know if you guys, if the label puts you together with Ed Stasium, but you guys chose him, so that's cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we're meeting people and we're talking about different people, and at one point, oh man, uh, it was it was kind of uh, uh, you know it was uh one at one point Phil Ramone, you know Phil Ramone used to yeah. come to our gigs, so
2: at one point Phil Ramone really wanted to produce us like
0: Gary Katz. And What expressed interest? So there were. Now this really is just for
2: people that don't know. Phil Ramone is is best known for working with Billy Joel, all the classic Billy Joel albums, yeah. and Gary yeah. Katz is with Steely Dan, Steely and
0: Dan, and absolutely. those two, uh,
2: Living Color with those two guys, that would have been unique. But I feel like Ed Stasium gets the rawness out of you guys oh, on he those totally records. Got it. Yeah, he gets and- it.
0: And it was just, and it was like, it was kind of like, so there were all these, and, and these were people whose work I, and I, and I loved Phil. Phil's a lo- lovely person. Too. Absolutely. Both and, great guys. But the, but the thing about it, that coincidence was so like a bolt from the, it was like a message. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was like, oh, it was, that was, it was crazy. And so um, that's, and I think we we made uh we made a really good choice because because it's those connections that really matter. It's those human weird connections mm-hmm. that matter more than the famous names and the blah 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 and the yeah. you know what I mean like you have to have this you have to have this other thing and um and 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 i and and I think a lot of times when you when you hear about things, everything that we dig that's cool records movies plays yeah. are a compendium of happy accidents and weird coincidences yeah. because you, you think about a movie everything can go wrong with the movie everything can everything. go wrong yeah like everything right <laughs> so and think about apocalypse now everything did go wrong everything went wrong with apocalypse now and yet it's and yet right? and, and yet it's a classic yeah and yet it's a classic I mean, this is a <laughs> it's and that's how I feel about so many so many things. Like a lot of times our industries they sell us on the idea you have all the proper credentials, you went to the proper schools, you're this and you're that, you have all these credits. But you know, one of the crazy things is that you could see a movie with your favorite actor that completely sucks. Completely sucks. And it's yeah, director it to be a genius. Yeah. Right. You know, all of those things. And and just like you know, when something is cool, all the happy accents, all the coincidences, all
2: those things line up, a- along with the skills of the people and yeah. their training. That's all part of it. Well, right? as, as a music fan, you know, my uh, my favorite band can release a new album, and sometimes I might not like it. Yeah, But that the band's not trying to make an album I don't like. They're trying to make an album that they love and, and hoping yeah. their fans love, and sometimes it, it doesn't gel, but yeah yeah it's weird uh, the muse the thing is just it's one of the the fact that we can't control
0: it right yeah just like comedy just like everything is the same thing like you know like can go up and everything is just funny and they could be they can be doing bits or they could be doing jokes or they could be telling stories yeah or they could you know and it can just be funny just funny that same
2: comedian in a different town yep. can bomb
0: monstrously.
2: Could, bomb. It's just, it could be as, it could be an early show is amazing, and then the late show is terrible with the same vibe and same material, same guy, but you just never know. And the thing is, part of the thing we're at most risk
0: when when we're cool. The next we have to be careful because we have to let go everything yeah right so if you play if you're on tour and everyone is syncing up and it's great you cannot assume that the next show is going to be great yeah if that is murder you have got to let go you got to let go of sucking right like you because that can drag you down yeah. for a week right so so you missed the cue you, you solo sucked. you got it out you didn't whatever you gotta let that go mm-hmm. make your adjustments whatever you need to do and then move on to the next thing. And if you play like a god, if you're like, if you're as funny as Richard Pryor and Jackie Gleason and Red Skelton and all the, cl- and you just, every syllable is just, you no. got to let that go completely. Because right. the next, because the next thing, I've seen it. I saw, I remember I was, I, I was um, in a two night stand and one of the musicians, I won't even mention the, the instrument, but. They went up and they played this one. Of, and It was like the heavens opened up. Every note this dude played was just was phenomenal. It was okay. phenomenal. Crowd goes nuts, right? The next night, he started to try to do the same moves and everything, it didn't happen at
2: all. So the first night, it was just flowing and he was, and he was improvising, doing whatever he was doing. And the next yeah. night, he tried to do that and nothing. Okay. It's, it
0: happens with classical music, like you know, one of the worst pieces, one of the best and worst pieces of music, uh, um, uh, is uh, *Rhapsody in Blue*. Like Rhapsody in Blue, if, if the orchestra doesn't like jazz, it's the, wor- it's the worst. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's corny and whack. It's whack. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I get because, it. you know what I mean? Yeah. Rhapsody in Blue is the piece of If you have an orchestra that, you know, at least half the people can swing yeah. and they can feel it, it's a magnificent piece of music. It's magnificent. All that stuff, when it's in sync and swinging, it's incredible. Those same
2: notes. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's why when bands do cover songs, it's tough because it's not going to be the original, but you better step it up and make it something new or try to you have to have your own way in. Like if you're going to cover something, then those
0: words have to mean something to you. Yeah. They have to, and they can't just be an excuse to blow over. Yeah. It's, it's just, it has to mean something to you and and that meaning something to you that, you know, it's a challenge because if it means something to you, it's gotta be something that's close to the bone. Cause other than that, you know, and, and you know, a lot of times music is, you know, it's not supposed to be transcendent, right? It's like, you know, it's just a tune on any given night. But, you know, at the same time, music, there's nothing like music. No. There's nothing like it. There's something, music will bring tears to your eyes. Music will mess you up. That's the point. When you hear that particular singer singing that particular song and you get it, you know, I mean, and and it can be it can be all the emotions, right? But it's kind of like, especially when you hear a singer, an artist at a certain point in their life, you get it. It's like listening to the
2: Pretenders, right? Love the Pretenders. I, I love them, Chrissy's right? my favorite. And vocalist. Chrissy and
0: Chrissy is a tr- and you know and I, I I know Chrissy Hind a bit. You know, I've met mm-hmm. her a couple
2: times. She she's a she's a pistol. <laughs> she's a tr- yeah. I imagine you know, and, no nonsense there. Oh, um, but you know, it's kind of like the classic records. You
0: know, when James Honeyman Scott, you know, yeah. um,
2: first two albums. I mean, it, it,
0: it's one of the one of, one of the great losses. He was, you know, he was a great, great. He was, well, like, credits, right between, he was like she credits. He was like he was like right between Andy Summers
2: and Jeff Beck. Yeah, like right in between. those was great. And Chrissy credits you know, but, him for coming up with the sound of the band. She credits him oh, all yeah. the time. Yeah, and
0: um. But you know when she did learn to crawl that record, mm-hmm. you know like that record is great, and yeah. part of the reason why that record is great, like middle of the road, you know yeah. that it's it's like you feel, and this is a person singing about their actual life. This is like actual life that this person's talking about. Yeah, you know, and that's and that and that's what we want from our artists. You know, we you know it's like we want. You know, like one of the great tragedies to me is, you know, the fact that Whitney Houston never made the record. Like she,
2: like the whole pop thing destroyed her to me, and um, like she never leaned into her roots. And she never, you know, she never. I mean, the way she could have, as strongly as she could
0: could have. have. You know, like it's kind of like. I remember thinking when Amy Winehouse did did rehab. I said, man, I wish that I, I wish that Whitney Houston had covered rehab. Yeah, because if Whitney Houston had done rehab, that would have been like, it would have it would have been it would have been so raw and so real. Um, <laughs> that would have been a, that would have been amazing. You know, what if she had come out and said, you know, me and Robin have this thing. What if she, you know, maybe she'd have done something yeah. like what Frank Ocean did with Thinking About You. Maybe she could have did that. Mm. You know, a bunch, of, and, and you know, people's jaws would have been tight for about. Five minutes, but if she come, came out and sang her truth, everybody would have embraced it. I believe that, and it's a shame, you know, when, you know, this thing eats people. You know, eats people alive. It does. It it, it ate her alive, and um, and she's like, you Are know, you talking about? The, are you talking about? It ate her alive. It ate it ate Kurt Cobain. Alive. They were two people, opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. But they were they were voices of their respective generations. And,
2: and when you say eats ate them, ate alive, them alive, them. do you mean the industry or drugs? Yes, I mean I mean the
0: industry, which leads to self medication. Okay. And you know, I, I, the pressure of you know of uh, living a life that's not a hundred percent that's not a hundred percent true, not a hundred percent real. I think I think part of the thing is like. Kurt Cobain was at risk because you know he had suicide in his family. Yeah, he had suicide. He had suicide. Suicide ideation was in his family, and when Nirvana became so massive, you know he came out of a scene that was very you know very close and whatnot, and all yeah. of a sudden this guy he becomes a thing. And then people are like, well, you know, oh, well, Mr. Rockstar, and it's like, oh my God, that's he totally. That's not what he wanted no, at all. No,
2: he didn't want to be a rock star. He just wanted to.
0: He didn't want to be like he didn't. He wanted his records to do well. Of sure, course. of course, everyone he, does. He, but a phenomenon, a phenomenon like that, it's you, it's great. That's crazy. To
2: he would have been much you better being what? in the middle of that pack, Absolutely. than at yeah. the forefront. Uh, Vernon, let me ask you, how have you been able to stay? Away from uh, from the things we've been talking about the the tra- the the, the medicating medicating yourself and stuff. Something like, well, you know,
0: um, for me,
2: it's kind of it's
0: kind of funny because the the fame thing, it happened
2: to me. My mm-hmm.
0: main thing is music, you know. I've always been you know I've been kind of a
2: sign. That's I'm the a drug. Sci-fi nerd. Yeah, I see Spock behind you. I see Mister Spock behind yeah,
0: you. Yeah, my sister. My sister got me that. You it's know, because nice. I'm I'm like an original crew, original crew Star Trek fan, right. next gen and the whole bit. You know, I'm a, I'm a science fiction was big for me. You know, so that science fiction and comic books
2: all, was all part of, of my thing. Well, know? I knew that early and, in the conversation that. because you referred to uh, to the greater being as the engineers.
1: Ah.
2: And I love it. And I picked up on that. I heard that as soon as you said that, I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm enjoying this. Well, you know, you know what, you know what, one thing that defined um, a lot of uh, my generation
0: of people was the Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone was so pivotal. I mean, and now Black Mirror, yes, is great because Black Mirror is is kind of doing what Twilight Zone did. Yeah. But twi- but the that black and white, the half hour Twilight Zone, because they they tried an hour and it was too much. It the is, half hour yeah. Twilight Zones, with Rod Sterling, with like Richard Matheson story- Holy shit! That I mean, I still get chills. That little guitar pigeon, it still freaks me to f out because it would be so scary, but it would be so compelling yep. and so well done. I, I, it would. It, it was weird because it was my favorite show
2: and it terrified me. And you when, know, like. Uh, And when the Twilight Zone episode was over, it really wasn't over because it kept you thinking. It kept you
0: thinking that, you know, like It's a Good Life, Billy Mummy, where he's just a kid and he can make anything happen. That shit, you know, it would be it would there would be these kind of moral lessons and these weird flips like the thing with the. Where the the woman is, uh, she's seeing all these doctors and talking about her, and saying, well, "Well, what can we do for her?" Well, oh, I don't know, man. How's she going to live like that? You yeah, know, blah, blah blah. And she and you, and they will move away. And she's beautiful, but their faces are all really weirdly is, distorted. Yeah, everyone else and,
2: is the ugly people. Yeah, it's cool.
0: right. And they're and they're and they're you know well well she'll she'll have to live somehow. You know.
2: Well, <laughs> I I cut you off when we were I cut you off with the uh, with the drug question. You were basically saying okay. that I guess that the music is your that's it's the kind high of like also, cause also you know I was around you know a lot of um,
0: I was in bands I'm not a Pollyanna about it you know I don't care what people do mm-hmm. but one thing you know I've seen some I've seen some bad shit go down you know with with friends I, I knew people that were on the retail side that got messed up and uh, you know it's just Rough, you know. Yeah. You know, I've seen some rough things. I've seen some very sad and rough things happen. And um, and oh, and and because I managed to, uh I don't know. I just managed to skirt it. Even though now I'm looking for a legit source for mushrooms. Definitely. <laughs> I'm looking for legit shroom. You know, Michael Pollan is is. Michael Pollard has completely convinced me that it's time, it's time, it's time to, to storm the doorways of perception. Is the, uh,
2: uh, is the lockdown time. making you think of these things?
0: I, I, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um,
2: can you believe that the song Cult of Personality is as relevant in 2020 as it was when you guys recorded it?
1: I'm the cult of personality I know your anger I know your dreams I've been everything you wanna be Oh, I'm the cult of personality I like Mussolini and Kennedy the cult
0: personality The cult of personality The cult of personality Well, it's such a, it's weird because I feel like um, this is the 30th anniversary of Time's Up Yeah And, you know, vivid before that And what's so strange It's disturbing and at the same time you know a lot of the things we said are very relevant and cult of personality i mean it was kind of weird because so it's like what is it about why do we follow this person why do we you know why did people drink the kool-aid because jim jones of course they had, he had dudes with guns making people do it but right. why did people you know um you know, it's kinda like, why does that happen? You know, because that whole like impulse to, like to be a part of something greater than oneself, you know, that's that's a very dangerous thing. It's great, you know. Yeah. But it's also you know, it's also it could turn out not great. And and um now that personality and that whole idea of um Warhol talked about, you know, being famous for fifteen minutes. Well, that's accelerated. All of it's accelerated. You know, like, all these things, you know, I, that was, those are the things that made me think about the cult of personality. You know, and I, I'm, I'm a Cold War, you know, I mean, the end of the Cold War, right? Yeah. Khrushchev banging an shoe at the UN, you know, that whole thing. But Khrushchev, you know, what he, the most important thing that he did was denouncing Stalin because, you know, because the country was still under the grip. And he said, Stalin, you know, he he ruled this country with a cult of personality. And that just that phrase stuck with me and um, I thought about like, you know, every, I was thought about Mussolini, Kennedy, you know, the, the, you know, just the Camelot, the whole thing. It's, it's very, it's, you know, I think about the fact that, you know, Malcolm X and, and Martin Luther King, very important civil rights leaders who also look like movie stars. They look like Matt. That's, that's, you can't, I mean, you could just hear their words. But the fact that they're both glamorous, and Angela Davis in her prime was also glamorous—that mm. was part of their appeal. The fact that Che, you know, like Che Guevara, Che Guevara looked cool in his beret. And right. The fact that Che right. Guevara looked cool, you know, and, I mean, and, he's on a he's on a thousand T-shirts, yeah. you know. And
2: Barack and Michelle Obama,
0: At they, that thousand watt smile. Yeah, absolutely. They're yeah, they're not exempt. They're no. not exempt, and that's the thing. Like that, you know, uh, that Shepherds Ferry, uh, uh portrait of him um you know that that solidified it you yeah. know and, and he still got that thousand watt
2: smile you know what i mean he's trim <laughs>
0: you know what i mean he's, he's ready to go like look, that,
2: look he has when you want to stay a rock star you got to be like mick jaggy you got to stay thin and you got to keep your hair and uh, barack obama has that rock star charisma. stuff charisma right, charisma basically you can't buy charisma you can't buy it you, gotta you gotta have it you have it or you don't have it. Bowie had it, mm-hmm. man. You know,
0: I mean, like, Bowie. Bowie had it. And it's funny. Like, I, I think.
1: A- hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
0: About um Steve Winwood. Steve Winwood is amazing. Yeah, Steve Winwood is great, and and Steve Winwood is has got an ap- appeal, but he doesn't have the charisma of Bono. No, no, you know, and and, and, and in fact, the Bono. He infuriates people. People are you? They, they are like they. I, they either can't stand. They, they hate his guts, or or they're in his thrall. You know, it's just kind of yeah. you know because partly yeah. partly the thing is that Stephen is an
2: excellent musician. He's a great singer. He's one of my favorites. You know, and I love Traffic. Traffic yeah.
0: is just
2: fabulous. Spencer Davis. Ben, I mean Spencer Davis. Group. I mean yeah, all that stuff. I mean before before he had his 80s success. Like, that's the thing about someone right. like a Steve Wynn when people think, oh, look at this. Who's this new guy? But it's like, no, he's not a new guy. No. He's been here forever. Right. He was, It's so funny because he was also, he was known as little Stevie
0: Winwood because he was very, very young. Mm-hmm. He was very young. I, it was my secret. I always wish that Stevie Winwood and Stevie Wonder would have done something. They both, their initials are both SW. I, you know, they, but, still, they still could though, right? They still could. It would be so great. I think their voices would blend phenomenally well. They're both phenomenal players, phenomenal singers. It would be out uh, you know, and it's probably just one of those things. Because we think that in famous land, in the land of celebrity, that yeah. everybody knows everyone. Right. That's really not the case. And you know, in certain collaborations it's just they don't happen because they don't. Right. you yeah. just don't. Maybe you, you need I, maybe you I, need I, to put I, this together. Oh man, I've been trying to get listen, I've been trying to get Steve by to do a to to I've been trying to get Steve Vai and Tom Waits to do a project together for the longest time. Every time I see Steve Vai, I say, you know, I man, you got to do that because he because we were on the Experience Hendrix tour, right? Mm-hmm. And um, a bunch of bunch of guitar players playing Hendrix's music, Billy Cox, it was fantastic, and and we were on the same bus, mm-hmm. right? We all we were on the same bus. Living Color and Steve and a couple other people, you know. And and at one point, he just said, man, I'm a huge Tom Waits fan. I looked at him and said, oh, you have to do a record with Tom Waits. (laughs) right?" (laughs) Yeah. And and I was like, you know, because, hey, man, he played on this Public Image Limited record. You know, he played on that record album. And it was amazing. So I'm just thinking, imagine. Yeah, the time is now. No one's getting younger. You know what? I know. And just imagine Tom Waits. Like Bone Machine ever Tom Waits with mm-hmm. Steve Vai guitar. It's insane.
2: It's insane. You know, so every time I see Steve, I, 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 I always say, yo, man, you got to do that Tom Waits record, man. Now, guitarists like you, you and Steve Vai, you guys are, you're touring, you know, you're, touring, you're on this tour together. When, when you're watching him, you're amazed by his playing. And then yeah. when he's watching you, he's amazed by what you're doing. And yet you can learn from each other, but you can never oh, do yeah. exactly what he does and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's the point. We all have to do...
0: The thing that's so funny is, to me is it's so important to be yourself. Like, you have to do yourself and to have a context for who you are. And, you know, Hendrix, the thing that, that makes him so astonishing, because you have to think about who he was in 67, 68, 69, and 70. He did all of that. Yeah. Seven sixty eight six nine seven. In a short period of time. A Short period of time, and it's, it's like think about something like machine gun. There's, there hasn't been anything like that. Like that version on the Band of Gypsies record. When you think about the Vietnam War, and the fact that Jimmy was a veteran, and his father fought in World War Two, and and the way. He connects to better, he's you know, Hendrix is revered by veterans because mm-hmm. he, and even though he was considered a hippie avatar, he was it was weird, he was very ambivalent about the hippie thing. And, yeah. he's, and you hear it in his music if six was nine, if all the hippies cut up all their hair, I don't care, right? His music is also for all the psychedelic stuff, his music has a hard edge of reality like castles made of sand is for me his greatest lyric it's a going in castles made of sand
2: you know fall into the sea eventually it's it's astonishing and that's the in, thing in machine when you think yeah. of Jimi hendrix you first think of the guitar and then sometimes you don't think he, he was writing these words too oh my god yeah incredible the wind cries mary is oh my god it's you know. It's
0: astonishing. It's an astonishing song. And the thing about it is that he was very influenced by Bob Dylan, but his influence, his being influenced by Bob Dylan, didn't lead to him cloning. But he just had it was just an influence. Right. So he had his own. I mean, that's why he covered all along the Watchtower because it's such
1: admiration
0: for Bob Dylan.
1: There must be some kind of way out of here. Said a joker to the thief There's too much confusion I can't get no relief Businessman there Drink my wine Plowman Dig my earth None will
0: It's one case where one artist took the living influence of another artist and created this amazing body of work yeah. completely on his own. So the thing about all of that to say is that it's so important to to create to have a context for whatever it is that you're doing, whatever craziness you're doing, for whatever a context. Living color was in a lot of ways my context for the guitar playing that I was doing. Gotcha. That I do. And um, and it lives inside of tunes like "Cult of Personality" and "Middleman" and "Open Letter to a Landlord" and "Broken Hearts," um, because you know, I think about the things that that influenced me, like bands like Flying the Family Stone and Led Zeppelin and. Uh, To a degree, the police, just instrumentation. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that the Beatles, the Beatles did this thing that was so crazy. The Beatles started out, they start out with,
2: I want to hold your hand. Right. And they end up with revolution number nine. Are you kidding me? And and again, in a short period of time, their evolution, like some people, it might take them 30 years to get from one of those to the other, and they do it in what, eight or nine years? Always moving forward. it's uh, it's uh,
0: and and the ability again the letting go of what it was letting go of what it was and you know and, and one other thing that we forget is that all the people that did all this stuff you know they were really young they were really young and they were actually building the times they were creating the times that they were in right like they were cre- like they were using the height of technology in terms of recording. That's what was happening with the Beach Boys and Pet Sounds, yeah. and they were competing with each other. You know, they, there to was be a lot better. of competition to yeah, be better. Motel, yeah. you know, you know, like Philly was competing with Detroit, and Detroit, and you know, and Detroit was competing with Chicago. Right? It's like you have, you know, Marvin Gaye is out of Detroit, and you know, uh, Curtis Mayfield's out of Chicago. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And so, so and, and uh, um, Otis Redding is out of Memphis, right? So, so these incredible artists, and Al Green out of Memphis and whatnot. So all these artists on their various labels, they're all compete, that's the other thing that we forget. It's all this wonderful music, but they're trying to cut each other. They're competing, <laughs> right. it's capitalism, right? They're comp- right. And, and we're the, and the consumer is the beneficiary of all okay. of this, really kind of cutthroat competition, yeah. like okay. James Brown and Joe Tex, were not friends. You know what I mean? They, they, they were trying to get to the number one slot. Yeah, and um, we benefited you know, from their started. genius. Yeah, and we
2: benefited from their genius and their bad
0: blood. In A <laughs> lot of cases, their bad blood.
2: Let me, uh, let me ask you this. Um, so, your guitar playing, Jimi Hendrix, when he starts. He doesn't know he's going to eventually someday be an innovator. He's just doing what comes naturally to him. Yes. But when you have all these amazing guitarists that came before you, how do you insert yourself in there? How do you not copy what other people do? How, do you, how are you able to... I mean, the guitar only has six strings. It's it's amazing well, to me yeah, now now how you eight strings, eight, and twelve strings, but it's yeah, amazing they're, they're to me seven strings and eight strings routinely now because you do have your um, own sound.
0: Part of the, that's one of the challenges is I think for guitarists, for players is, is, is self-awareness, self-knowledge, finding things that are them, finding yourself, finding yourself in life is the hardest thing because once something becomes an industry, right, and it's a repeatable, you know, like, I, I refer oftentimes to the guitar industrial complex, right? This is a huge. It suddenly it was a few people, a relative handful of people, that were doing this thing, and people arguing about who's this and who's that. You know, you know I was on Twitter talking about Terry Kath. Terry Kath from Chicago. Yeah, Terry am- Kath was a phenomenal, phenomenal guitar player, Amazing. phenomenal vocalist. And thing, and and Terry Kath made Chicago. He made that band a raw Chicago transit authority was a prog band. Yeah. They were a prog, you know, they were, and his untimely death um, because they, they always had this tension between their pop sensibilities, their accessibility and this raw rock edge. And yeah. Terry Kath was that. And once he passed, chicago stopped being a rock band yeah. They just stopped yep. they became a pop band. You know, and that's and that's how impactful a person can be and hendrix loved terry katz playing because terry katz wasn't gonna play like hendrix he didn't play like hendrix at all he played like himself yeah and these are the things and the great challenge and the great challenge now is that it's like a it's like a kind of badass guitar player factory
2: Right, yeah.
0: And there's a lot of people that can play fast. There are a lot of people that can play. You know, like what Hendrix did in '68. Eddie Van Halen. We just lost him in 2020. Eddie Van Halen reinvents the guitar in '78. Yeah. And and he, again, he managed him, his brother um, Michael Anthony, David Lee Roth, and then Sammy Hagar. He man, they managed to to to. I refer to Eddie Van Halen as the people's virtuoso. He's just a virtuosic, but he just had this charm. He had mm-hmm. this boyish charm. He always looked happy Yeah. when he was playing the guitar. He always looked happy. He he very rarely looked, you know, I mean, he was a very serious musician, but he always looked like he was having the best time. Yeah, and, big smile. And that combination with David Lee Roth and his insouciance and his, you know, that combination was just magical and and if, strangely enough the the fans of van Halen you know they, they also followed the fact that it was a soap opera too. It was kind of kind of a crazy soap opera, yeah. for all over many years. But you know what he did was phenomenal. One of the guitarists that he loved was Alan Holdsworth, and Alan Holdsworth is like uh, among guitarists he's like. A guitarist, yeah. guitarist. I know the like, name, but not his music. Tony Williams. Oh, man. to Check out the record Believe It by Tony Williams. It's like, you know, like he used to play with the band Soft Machine as well. And uh, Eddie revered uh, Alan Holdsworth. So he had, you know, as, as he's at the top of my head, he's looking at somebody else going, that guy's original. You know, the other person that loved Alan Holdsworth was George Benson. George Benson's another one. Phenomenal. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And singing his ass off. You know, so the thing about it is um, there are many ways to be great in guitar. You don't have to be, like, the idea, like, everybody has to shred. You know, Mark Knopfler doesn't do that. He does a whole other thing. Yeah. Steve Ray Vaughn, he transcended. You know, he, obviously, you hear, obviously, here, hear Albert King and Jimi Hendrix, but he transcends his influences, even though you hear his influences. The genius of Steve Ray Vaughn is that he is himself, even though... You can hear it, you know, like Robin Trower. Robin Trower, very influenced by Hendrix, but you know, he made his own original music out of coming out of Pro Call Harem. So there's like, the thing, of, uh, the challenge um, is is for players, there's a band uh, called Thank You Scientists. heavy prop, and there's a guitar player named Tom Mondo. Ridiculous, 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 ridiculous. Um, you know, and there there's so many people that I that I see coming up. Uh, my friend Ben Tyree, great jazz rock guitar player. Um, Malcolm Brickhouse from from Unlocking the Truth. Um, and, and the key is to know yourself and be yourself, and to and also to find things. I would say, find find something to play that nobody else would even want to play, and that's you. Like nice. stop
2: trying to fix. Stop trying to fix your playing to be like somebody else. I like that you're not complacent. That you're still listening to new music and new guitarists, and you're just not in your own bubble. You're uh, you're always looking for for other stuff. That's cool. Well, you know, there's always, there's always somebody that's going to kick your ass.
0: I mean, there's somebody you know. It's just like holy shit, you know. Right. Like one of my, you know, uh, like a boxer, I think about Greg Howe. Like Greg, Greg Howe, you know, he started out as a shreddy guy, and he's just become this phen- phenomenal jazz rock. Uh, player, we had a you know we were we were playing in the south and there was a band, the Alan Scott band. This dude was ridiculous. This guitar player was ridiculous, you know. And so, and I I love it, you know what I mean. And um, at the same time, you know, in my own work, there's a challenge, you know. Okay, going further into what I'm trying to say and articulate it and and um, get closer to. There's always an opportunity. Like somebody asked me, "Well, don't you get bored playing a particular song?" It's like, like every time I start start the minor blues of Middleman, you know, right, you know, I, there's always a chance that I'm going to play something I hadn't played before. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because there's two real, there's two schools. Really, there's the improvising school and there's the um, constructivist school. Like, like if if you hear like Deep Purple Highway Star, that you know that Ricky Blackmore solo is iconic. It's always, that's the solo. And anyone that's playing Highway Star has to learn has that, to so play that solo. play that solo, yeah. It's like classical music. But I come from a, a completely an impro, improvisational kind of background. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. and that's the thing, you know, that's like hearing Pete Cozy with Miles and, you know, Mike Stern with Miles and, you know, and hearing John McLaughlin with Miles and <laughs> everybody with Miles. And, uh, you know, hearing Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix would never, you know, like there are, what, seven or eight or nine or ten different versions of Red House. Red House is
2: always different. Always different. And that's the thing for me. When you're playing live with Living Color, how much uh, how much room in a live show do you have to just all of a sudden go off? with the band just follow you?
0: How's no, that we go? Play the tunes. We, play, we play the tunes. I mean, I sometimes I'll play... Like introduction to a song like uh, "Desperate People," but you know, generally, I, you know, my solos are inside the t- are inside the tunes. But yeah. I, but I, you know, I tr- I'm trying to p- find something new to play. Like I, when I play "Cult," I've never, I've never tried to play the "Cult" solo exactly. I mean, there's a couple of phrases that I'll play, but generally, I improvise it. All right, cool. You know What I mean, so pretty couple, much what I do.
2: A couple more questions for you. Um, you guys started as a New York band. So uh after Vivid came out when did you realize that you made it was it was it stuff like when you were on Saturday Night Live or Showtime at the Apollo or or David Letterman show when you guys were doing all those appearances with the first album did it were you able to were you able to step back and go I I think I think we I think we've made it you know what I want when, when it happened
0: when 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 I actually started to hear our music on the radio. Right? When I heard, you know, like, that's... The first song I heard on the radio was in Florida we were in the middle of the night, and this uh, station um, played Middleman. And, you know it, it, it was you didn't hear it all that much on the radio, but cult of personality once MMR in Philadelphia broke the song and and the song was really starting to get steam. and then we made the video and yeah. then it blew up but but you know um I think at one point um our one of our our managers said, "Oh, you sold a hundred thousand records this week and i, and I it was so. It was such... I couldn't wrap my mind around the
2: abstraction. Yeah. And, um... <laughs> I couldn't wrap my mind around it. Yeah, numbers, it was, numbers it, make you think. You're like, what, huh? What? In a week? How's that? What? But, you know, for
0: me, it was just, um... It was just very special. It was a special time. And uh, it was a time that I... Uh, I don't know man it was, it was weird, it was a weird I, I think of it like I was a dude you know playing guitar in the basement <laughs> you know and suddenly I, I remember hearing Black Magic Woman the first time I heard Black Magic Woman and then I was we were playing at the Stone in San Francisco and my manager was trying to get my attention he was really annoying me and I turned and Carlos Santana was standing there on the side of the stage wow and that's the moment. That's the moment. That's the moment. That's it. When I was when I turned and saw Carlos Santana standing on the side of the stage at at, at a Living
2: Color game, That's the moment. And he, I'm sure that's he it. wasn't just standing there. He was probably he was probably he was, r- into it. Know. <laughs> you know,
0: it's like it's I mean, he's like you know he was. I mean my. he's still my I call him my sensei still my hero and nice. uh, yeah and so that's the that's the that's it you know i mean and 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 again you know you know playing with Jack Bruce touring with Jack Bruce you know um having tea with Robert Fripp <laughs> you know it's like right? you know it's like I, I, and so I turn around and go, like, I don't even know what to say or think about that type of
1: stuff. You know? it's, it's
0: That's banatic. cool. It's it's, it's, uh, it's fun to meet yeah. your heroes. Yeah. And, and, uh, and actually, you know, I've only had, like, one <laughs> really bad meeting with uh, someone I looked up to. Uh,
2: well, those happened,
0: too. Yeah. But, you know, I got to meet some of the greatest cats. You know, meeting Ernie Isley. Ernie Isley was only like, who's that lady? I mean, holy, holy yeah. shit! So many of the people that I hold in high regard, yeah, and it's very powerful, and I'm and I'm very, I, and that's the thing, like what the ups and downs of the music industry, those happen, but I tell you, I feel incredibly fortunate, incredibly fortunate. It doesn't doesn't escape me at all, and yeah. um, and I don't take it for granted. That's
2: good. And you're still here. And I mean, the last, you guys released your last album, Shade, just three years ago. living color uh, down the we're, road we're, we're processing we're processing we're processing
0: the the current insanity <laughs> so figure out like how to even talk about the last
2: four years it's like oh, wow you uh, gotta put pen to paper I know I know <laughs> uh, I Vernon, some go ahead yeah. no go ahead
0: yeah some things uh definitely there's a lot to there's a lot to. um you know what we're gonna be dealing with um this for a long time like there isn't right now what's strange to me is there isn't any music or there's barely any music um cause Alicia Alicia Keys put out something that's some Good Job mm. which I, which was was real very cool
1: you're the engine that makes all things go and you're always in disguise my hero I see your life in the dark smile in my face when we all know it's hard there's no way to ever pay you back bless your heart no i love you for that honest and selfless i don't know if this helps it but good job you're doing a good job a good job a good job don't get too down the world needs you now know that you matter 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 yeah you're doing a good job a good job
0: but i haven't heard anything to to even attempt to deal with the amount of loss we've had yeah it's 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 enormous it's enormous and we don't know how to react. We don't know. I mean, we 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 don't know. We haven't publicly grieved. I mean, it's insane, and it's, it's still is. happening. It's, st- it's every day, happening right? Yeah, now. every day, and um, and that's something, you know. And and there's there's gonna have to be some heartbreaking music. Like like all of us that do this, that write songs. That that even think about this.
2: It'll be unavo- I mean, it'll be unavoidable. There's no way that you won't be able to write una- something but about it. We are avoiding it. It's right unavoidable, but, but but we are avoiding. Currently, it. yes, we are avoiding
0: it. And um, you know what? There's a great uh, on um, Springsteen's latest record. Yeah,
2: there's man. the song Rainmaker. Rainmaker.
1: Rainmaker says white's black and black's white. Says nights day and days night. Just Close your eyes and go to sleep now I'm in a burning field and loading buckshot in the low clouds Rainmaker, a little thing for hire Rainmaker, a house is on fire Rainmaker, tell you everything you have Sometimes folks, they believe in something so bad So
0: Yes, Rainmaker is my jam. That tune is it.
2: Yeah, that's the one. That's
0: for me. That's my favorite on the whole. Right, Rainmaker though, is and it's an incredible piece of music. I love it.
2: Yeah, so there's the there's the one for now that we have, but we'll we'll have more. We we need much more. Yeah, we need we need much more. You know. Well, Vernon, I told you we were going to talk for forty five minutes. We've been talking for an hour and twenty minutes. But I have to be See, honest. What, I have to be honest with you. I could talk to you for three more hours. This has been uh, well, a great know, a conversation. Well, this has been a great conversation. <laughs> well, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. I enjoyed this too. Uh, th- this is going to put you on the spot. I usually use a, a playout song for the episode. What uh, Living Color or or Vernon Reed solo track would you like me to play as our playout song? Oh my goodness! I know it's tough. You know, I would like to just you know solace of you solace of you solace of you you got it solace of you From time's up absolutely and i just want to tell people that they can follow you on twitter you're at v u r n t 22 or at living color and the website's livingcolor.com i can't wait to hear what you guys do next stay safe and healthy and well and uh yeah. hopefully, the next time you guys are through L.A., i a i'm going to uh contact you and I would hope, love and it. hopefully that, we get to meet uh, in person absolutely right.
0: also burnt twenty two is my
2: instagram okay. and I' okay, be good i I'm, I'm also a photographer, and I'm very proud of the pictures I do there so and you're you're active on Twitter and you answer you answer people when they when they tweet at you, and that's nice yeah I like it because some people
0: are very funny, they're very witty, right. some of the things are 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 really because I'm a geek and uh, you know like talking about things like the Mandalorian and Star Wars. Right. So recently, there's a the whole thing about Rogue One. Like Rogue One is the most is like outside of The Empire Strikes Back. Like Rogue One, it was such a necessary component of the Star Wars mythology because you can't because it's a war movie and it it's a movie where there is complete sacrifice and. You can't throw something like war into your franchise and not deal with the reality. And it's the one film that deals with the reality of that word. So that, and The Mandalorian is just so, it's, this season is blowing my mind. <laughs> so a lot of, the, a lot of us geek out about that. Right. We geek out about guitars. We geek out about stuff. You know, it's all different stuff. And I, I really enjoy it. My Twitter followers are, are really funny,
2: really smart people. Excellent. And i enjoy it well again thank you so much vernon i can't wait to hear what you guys do next and what you do next and uh that's it we're done yep working on the solo record so that's happening too all right so something pat it's been a real pleasure bro and
0: uh
2: i really enjoyed it thank you dude see you soon all right man take care Bye -bye. bye bye bye